happening as Jesus goes to the cross. What's really going on? And if you were to ask everyone who was there on that day, I'm sure you'd get a, many different opinions and ideas, right? If you ask the religious leaders, they would say this great, uh, this, this great, um, what's the word for it? Um, this great rebellion has been squashed, right? This man who has been such a thorn in our side is finally being overcome and defeated, right? The religious leaders would have thought this is a good thing, right? You'd imagine uh, maybe some of the common people would have thought, well, this was a really good guy, sadly, he's being killed. Perhaps the disciples would have thought their hope was over, everything was done, there was no more hope for us. Uh, the, the one we had placed all of our hope in was dying right before our eyes. Everything was hopeless. It was over. The soldiers probably thought, well, we're executing just another common criminal, right? Just like all the other criminals, what's the difference between this man and them? But Jesus doesn't leave us to question what's going on, does he? Jesus tells us exactly what is going on. And he says it in one word, tetelestai. And this word means it is finished. And what Jesus is doing here is he's telling us what's going on. So we don't have to scratch our heads. We don't have to try to figure out what's happening. Jesus tells us exactly what is going on in John 19 verse 30 when he says it is finished. And he shouts it, doesn't he? He doesn't just say it, he shouts it out. All the other versions just say that he shouts something. But this is the only place where it says specifically that he says, it is finished from the cross. And so he says, it is done, it is accomplished, it is finished. You know, it's pretty amazing that Jesus could even say something at this point. He's been, he's been suffering on that cross for six hours. Six hours. That's after being whipped and scourged and beaten before that. It's amazing that he even had enough strength to say it is finished from the cross. Now, what we need to understand here about this word is that Jesus is giving his church... His people encouragement. Jesus is teaching us something that we need to understand about the cross here. Jesus is giving life-sustaining words. Just think about this for a second. Every word Jesus said is for our eternal life-giving benefit. Even up to the last words we're for our benefit and for our good. We need to hang on every single word that Jesus says. And so this last word is no different than any of the other words that Jesus said throughout his life. When he says, it is finished. This is for your well-being, for your good, for your life, for your protection and encouragement. Now, it is especially important for us to understand that Jesus, when he says it is finished, is not saying it is finished 
in the sense of, I'm defeated. <laughs> it's all finished, right? I'm finished. It's done, you know? That's not what he's saying here, right? And, and this is so important that you get this. That Jesus is saying, I am victorious. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I am victorious. Isn't that crazy? How often do we go to these services with a very somber look to ourselves? And, and there's a place for that. I'm not saying that that's wrong and bad. There's a place for um, sobriety, right, and, and being somber. And we should be that as well. But this is a triumphant saying by Jesus. <laughs> this is triumph. He is saying, I have triumphed. I have gained victory. This is something we can rejoice with and be excited about and praise God with and smile even at our remembering the cross of Christ. This isn't defeat, this is victory. So what does Jesus mean when he says this? What is he really saying? And what we need to do is go back to understand some of the things that were prophesied about Jesus in the Old Testament. And one passage from the New Testament that John the Baptist gave. So let's first look at Isaiah 53, verse 4 through 6, because this passage tells us what Jesus was going to do. Because we're looking at what did he finish? What is the work he's talking about here? Well, Isaiah 53, verse 4 through 6, tell us what that work is. They tell us what he accomplished, right here. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Right? That was what he came to do. And that's exactly what he was doing on the cross. He was bearing the iniquity of his people. Listen to Isaiah 53 verse 11 as well. Just a few verses later. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. And then we turn to John the Baptist. We move farther along, and Jesus was just coming onto the scene. And John the Baptist is telling us about Jesus and what he's going to do, right? He says this in John 1 verse 29. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the work that Christ came to do. And this is the work that he has accomplished and that he has finished on the cross. But then let's move forward and look at Jesus' own words. How would he summarize his life? How would he tell us what he came to do? And we can look at Matthew 20, verse 28. Jesus says this, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what Christ came to do. That's the work he came to accomplish. To give his life as a ransom for many. To bear their iniquities. To give his life as a ransom for many. And then finally, we can even look after Jesus was raised from the dead. We can look at those who told us about his life and what he came to do afterwards. We can turn to 1 John 3 verse 5 that says, But you know that he appeared so that he may take away our sins. You know he appeared that he may take away our sins, bear our iniquities, be a ransom for many, take away our sins. That's the same thing. Hebrews 2 verse 17. 
For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. This is the mission that Christ came to accomplish. And so there are a few ways we can talk about what he came to accomplish. There's a few ways we can say this. And so I'm going to give you uh, four ways we can say what Jesus came to accomplish. What, what, he, what he meant when he said, it is finished. And all these ways are related. They're not totally separated from each other. All right. First of all, we could say what Jesus meant when he says, it is finished, was that he is fulfilling all Old Testament expectations. Someone said it like this. When Jesus said it was finished, he meant all scriptures, from law to prophets, all types, prophecies, promises, ceremonies, sacrifices were fulfilled and explained finally and perfectly in him. What an amazing thought. All the Old Testament was pointing to, all the types, the ceremonies, everything was pointing to him. And in him it was finished, it was fulfilled. For instance, year after year, what would they do? The priest would go in to the, through the veil and sprinkle the mercy seat with blood, right? They must have wondered, would this ever end? <laughs> Every year we have to sprinkle the blood, go into the presence of God because we're sinners. And every year, it just couldn't, it never ended. There always needed to be some kind of atonement for the people. Here Jesus comes not with an animal, such as a lamb, but with his own blood. And he comes in through the veil and sprinkles with his own blood and cries, it is finished. It is finished. No more need of the priest because he is the faithful priest who has finished the work once and for all. <laughs> and he successfully abolishes all other sacrifices in himself. There's no need. And it would be a dishonor to him, <laughs> right? Spurgeon said it this way, what meant, what meant the Savior, then by this it is finished? He meant, first of all, that all types, promises, and prophecies were now fully accomplished in him. This leads us to see his meaning very clearly, that all the scripture was now fulfilled, that when he said it is finished, the whole book, from the first to the last, and both the law and the prophets, was finished in him. There is not a single jewel of promise from that first emerald which fell on the threshold of Eden, that last sapphire stone of Malachi, which was not set in the breastplate of the true high priest. Wow. <laughs> so true. What Jesus meant was that he finished fulfilling the law completely. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 17, about his relationship to the law. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets, Jesus told his disciples. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. To fulfill them. And he was able to do this because the law was written in his heart. Listen to what it says in um, Psalm 40, verse 7 through 8. Behold, I have come, in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. This is why Jesus said, I have, My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Because the law was within his heart. This is why he was tempted in every way, yet without sin, right? Hebrews 4, verse 15. This is why he alone, of everyone who has ever lived, was able to say he loved the Lord his God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, and with all his strength. No one else could ever say that but Jesus. 
Satan shot at him the arrows, didn't he? But not one of them reached their target. He walked in perfect obedience for our righteousness' sake, for our good, and for our salvation. What Jesus meant was that he finished drinking the cup of God's wrath for us. Think about this. There is a cup of God's wrath that each one of us deserves to drink, that each one of us must drink because we have sinned and rebelled against a holy God. And we must drink it to the very bottom, right, of the cup. We must face the wrath of God's judgment for our sin. And our sin is so great, it requires an eternal judgment. That cup will never be said it has fully been drunk forever and eternity. It is so great what we owe to God. This cup was the reason that Jesus was in such agony before his death. Jesus was not concerned about the devil. Jesus was not concerned about Satan. Jesus was not really concerned about the betrayal of his disciples. I'm sure those things hurt. But the cup is the one thing that bothered Jesus. He shrunk back. He was tempted, I should say, to shrink back from the cup more than anything else. Someone said it this way, the cup was a dark shadow that followed him all his life. And we know that this is what, what was bothered him the most because of what he said in Matthew 26, verse 39, when he requested for what to pass from him. He requested that the cup pass from him, be removed from him. And the father's answer in silence was no, <laughs> this is how it must be. The cup gave him unspeakable, unspeakably great anguish when he went to the cross. So much so that even tears of blood came from his eyes. Luke 12 verse 50 says, How great is my distress, said Jesus. John 12 verse 27, Now my soul is troubled. Our God was rocked to his very heart by the thought of drinking this cup of God's wrath. And he would go on to drink the whole thing that you and I, believer, deserved to drink. He took hold of the cup and drank it to its entirety. Hour after hour, he drank until it was finished. And finally, when it was empty, he said, It is finished. He was saying, I have finished the entire cup of God's wrath for you. If he has drunk fully your cup, that means there is no more of God's wrath for you to drink. The cup has been emptied. It has been finished. The wrath of God is satisfied. His justice has been received. Your debt has been paid. Atonement has been made. So what Jesus meant when he finished, when he said it is finished on the cross, was that he had finished the work of delivering sinners from their sin which was their greatest enemy. There is no greater problem that you and I face than our sin. If you look at our lives, we often think that this is our greatest problem or that is our greatest problem. This is something that's going to be a real problem for me in my life. But none of those things are real problems at all compared to our sin. 
Our sin is what separates us from God and leaves us outside of his favor. We are bound for an eternal judgment that's fast approaching us of God's wrath. But here is our high priest who offered himself on the altar for us so we could approach him. Hebrews 9 verse 26 through 27 says this, But now he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. He offered himself as the Passover lamb as a substitute for his people. And through standing in our place as our substitute, we are reconciled to God, restored in our relationship to him. He is also our shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep so that we could be brought to safety. Imagine those broad shoulders of Jesus carrying our sin away and then bringing us to safety. His shoulders alone were big enough. He was mighty enough and loving enough to deliver us from our sin. In this sense, all who are in Christ can say that they are completely saved. He has dealt with our sin once and for all, perfectly and fully. The penalty has been served, justice satisfied, the price has been paid. And we are eternally secure if you're in Christ Jesus. Eternally secure. What Jesus meant was that he had disarmed and triumphed over Satan. He had crushed Satan on the cross. In the Garden of Eden, God promised that a greater Adam would be born. A greater Adam that would crush the head of Satan. Genesis 3 verse 15. On the cross, Jesus did this very, this very thing. He crushed Satan's head. In 1 John 3 verse 8, it says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And that's exactly what he did. We see this partially in casting the demons and healing the sick out of people, right? He would cast the demons out. He would heal the sick. We see, we see what God had come to do right there, exemplified throughout his life. But through the cross, according to Colossians 2 verse 15, we are told that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to public shame. And the, the authorities and rulers refer to Satan and his people. There is no legitimate accusation that Satan can make against us because Christ has paid for it. There is no argument that he can make against us. He has been defeated and his days are numbered. So you might say, in light of all of this, you might say many have done great things, right? How many have done incredibly great things, have accomplished great feats, um, things that are almost impossible for us to comprehend, but this eternally exceeds all of them. This is infinitely greater than all other feats that any have ever done or any other could do. You don't need to add one percentage of an ounce to your salvation. In fact, if you tried to add one ounce to your salvation, you would only succeed in ruining it. You cannot add one thing to perfection without ruining perfection. When you look at the cross, what do you see today? What do you see when you look at the cross? Do you see defeat? Do you see someone who had a partial victory? Or do you see complete victory? Do you see it is finished? And why does this matter? Because it means your salvation does not depend on you, but on him. Now we still have a race to run, don't we? We still have a devil to resist. We still have holiness to pursue. But we can and we will finish the race because of what he has done if you're in Christ Jesus. And that is the greatest news we can hear today. How do you know if you understand this or not? 
Well, you understand this if you know that you don't earn God's favor today through anything that you could ever do. You don't earn God's acceptance. Your relationship to God is not a bunch of checklists to to check off. God will not change his mood towards you today based on how well you live. Rather, you will trust in him and in his goodness and you'll find peace through what he has accomplished. Your relationship will not be driven by guilt and fear, but joy and peace. Your relationship to God will be based on delight rather than hard and difficult labor. You will believe in him, trust in him, and rejoice in him. That's what it means to be restored to God. So rejoice that there is nothing more to be done about your salvation. Rejoice that he has done it all, and he has done it all very well. Rejoice that we are beneficiaries of this great work that Christ has accomplished. Praise God, to him belongs all the glory.